Arizona's news station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yeah, you know what? Work has changed over the years. I think about how, as a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I watched my parents leave to go to the office every morning, and then they would come home between 5 and 6 o'clock at night, and when they got home, they were at home. They weren't on computers. They weren't checking emails. Email didn't exist back then. There were no phone calls from work unless, you know, there was an, a major an emergency. And I think I can count on, like, one hand the number of times that that happened. Are their names Ozzy and Harriet? No, but it's true. that That's what it happened back in the 80s and 90s. You didn't take work home with you as often as you do today. That voice you just heard there, though, uh, Barry Markson. We've got Bruce St. James, who's off all week, so Barry is going to be helping me hold it down. Um, and... More so as of late, I'd say in like the 2010s, you were seeing this move, Barry, towards more telecommuting, more people working from home, calling into the office or working remote on their computers became quite popular. In fact, a a quarter of the workforce in the U.S. is now folks who telecommute. But that could change dramatically because there are a lot of agencies within the Trump administration who are trying to reel back the Obama administration's move to get more people to telecommute. And those agencies are now calling folks back to the office. Yeah, you know, it's the, the, I think the Obama administration was basically following a lot of uh, private industry, right? I mean, that's what we saw as the technology improved. A lot of businesses said, hey, you can – they did it for two reasons. One, it was it was helpful for to bring in a, uh, a better workforce because a lot of people want to work from home. They want that flexibility. Maybe they work sometimes in the office, sometimes at home, whatever it may be. Um, and also, for a lot of businesses, it, it reduces their overhead because now they need less office space, right? They don't have to have the big offices or as much space. People are working at home. I have a lot of clients who most of their employees work at home and they it allows them, uh, number one, to have less space. But number two, they can hire people all over the country to do this job. They don't have to be in the city where the office has to be. They can hire good people in different cities because they just work at home. But the question I always have, Pamela, is do you are you more productive at home uh, or more productive in an office going to work? And I'll say personally, I, I struggle at home sometimes. Now, I can do it if I have something to do and I have to get to something and I'm at home. I can pound out a few hours of work. There's no question. But I generally... I'll drive to my office if I need to work because I have to. That's where I'm going to get more work done. Yeah, but I mean, so that's an individual. You that's know me. I mean? That's you yeah. as an individual. But, it's but good for people, you to know that some people are much more effective at home. I think. And there have been a lot of studies that have been done at this. Who is most effective? Uh, Those that are in the office or those that are working at home? And I think intuitively, Barry, a lot of people would say the same thing that you do. You know what? If you're at home and you're sleeping on the couch on your Metallica T-shirt, eating bonbons and watching Ellen. Yeah, you're not being all that productive. (laughs) Let's not bring Ellen into this. I mean, come on. You always got to (laughs) bring Ellen into this. And yeah, I think that's the image that a lot of people may have. But there's been a ton of research out there. And I got to admit. I was a bit surprised by it. That shows those that work at home are actually more productive. Yeah. And not by just a little bit, by a lot of it. It's a lot. Well, look, there's a lot less distractions. If you're able to have that focus where you can sit down and not turn on the TV and watch Ellen or not just surf the Internet all day, you're not going to get distracted by the coworker coming in. You're not going to necessarily go out for lunch with with your coworkers or friends around the corner. You're going to be more focused at work and not distracted by people as often. So I think that's true. The other thing I think, and a lot of folks who work at home I think will tell you this, they end up working more hours, Pamela. It's more than a 40-hour week because maybe they do it because they like the flexibility. They like to go pick 
pick up their, their kids at school in the afternoon and make them dinner, but then they're working for more hours at night, right? So they may, they may take an hour out here or half an hour out there, and then they throw three hours in at the end of the day to make sure they're getting all their work done. So I think businesses almost get more productivity out of them because people give more time. They actually do. If you're yeah. looking at it on like a monthly basis, those that work at home actually work one and a half more days every month. There you go. Which comes into about 17 more days every year. And it's for those very reasons. Um, when you're looking at breaks, all right, those that work from home actually take longer breaks than those that are at the office. But one of the ways to stay productive is to take longer breaks. It helps reset uh, your mind. It helps reset your focus. So that's actually a good thing. And more productive. And the other aspect that I thought that was interesting about a lot of these studies is that folks talk about like getting on a roll. You know, if you're yeah. at home and it's you and you don't have somebody coming into your office or walking by or that email, bing, 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 and, and having all these distractions at the office, you can get in the zone at home and work like uninterrupted for three, four hours and get a ton done where at the office, you, there's these constant distractions yeah. that kind of pull your attention away. Yeah. But I think it's interesting what's happening within the Trump administration. You've got these different departments out there, like the Agriculture Department, Education, Interior Department, the Environmental Protection Agency, Department of Veterans Affairs, that are all cutting this popular benefit of telecommuting, working from home. And telling folks, you got to come back to the office because they think, you know, having a butt in a seat prevents that kind of slacking that I think a lot of people, you know, have that image that they conjure up in their mind. And I, I... I get it. I think that that's an old school way of thinking. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And I also think that it's going to hurt in the long run because, like you just laid out, a lot of people are attracted to the opportunity of working from home. I have friends that they lived in Tempe and they work for a, a, a big company. I'm not going to say which one, but they, they lived in Tempe. They both work from home and it afforded them the possibility of living in Fountain Hills. So, which is out there, yeah. right? And the, the big company is in Chandler. So Tempe to Chandler, no problem. Fountain Hills to Chandler, yeah. big jump. But they're able to do that and be closer to their family because they both work from home. Yeah, and, that's, and it's a benefit a lot of people have. And I think that like if you take that benefit away in an environment, in an economy where we have very low unemployment, you're going to have a lot of people who say no and then go to the private sector. Yeah. No, and I think you're going to you see that with businesses and you're going to see with the federal government and it's it's exactly what you just said. You want to expand the scope of people that you can bring in to be your employees. Your talent, your to find, talent pool. Right, to find the most talented yeah. people, the best people. And if you can do that by saying, hey, yeah, go ahead and live in Fountain Hills. I don't care as long as you do your work. That's, but if, but if, you, if you say, no, you can't do that. I need you in the office every day like the government's doing now. People will say no. There's, there's stories in, in, these artic- in, in the articles we read anecdotally of people saying, hey, I live 120 miles from the office, but I, I used to go in two days a week, work from home the rest of the time. And that was okay. Now they want me in the office every day. I'm not going to do that. You know what? The idea of going into work once or twice a week, that would be enticing, yeah. I think, to a lot of people. Because the other complaint I hear from folks that work from home is how isolating it can be. You're right. You know, and so having that breakup of the monotony of getting into the office every once in a while. Um, but I, I think that you are... You're 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 going in the wrong direction. Um, we're the taxpayers who yeah. you know the government should be accountable to. And if you need to be at that office 
And if it was a mistake, you working at home, then yeah, bring their butts back. Yeah. But if it's just to make an emotion and make somebody feel better about seeing somebody and you don't really have the data behind it to back it up, that this is what's best for the surfaces, then I think that you're just being too old fashioned. Yeah. Look, in some jobs, you may be better off being in the office or or some people maybe aren't as productive. And there's, by the way, there's software now. People who work at home, companies can track how how much you're on. Are you moving your mouse around? Are you focusing on your computer? They can see these things and track your productivity. So it's not that hard to find. The issue I have with what the federal government's doing now, and again, I'm I'm old school. I'd like everybody to be in the office. That's me because I think you do get more done. But but obviously, I'm wrong. I believe the studies. It bothers me that they're ignoring the science and ignoring what the studies are saying that people are more productive at home, and just forcing people to come back into the office because, frankly, because some old guy probably said, "Hey, we're not as efficient if you're working at home." Yeah, and and that's exactly and that's, that's what, not right. What what it appears to be. Hey, you know what? If you uh, if you're one of these folks that that, that work from home, we want to hear from you. Are you more productive? You know, if, if you're somebody who has worked from home and has also worked in the office, and you've got that that balance, we'd love to hear from you on our open mic line six zero two two. 200-2733-602-200-2733. Give us your experiences. And if somebody told you you had to go back to the office, such as several federal government agencies have done, what would you do? Would you switch jobs or would you get your butt back in that seat? 602-200-2733. The open mic line is brought to you by Carol Royce with Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Uh, Oscar nominations came out this morning. Hey, quick question. Does does anybody know a member of the Phoenix Film Critics Society we can talk ooh, to? Ooh, uh, I do. I do. Yes. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yeah, you know what? This morning I was wondering who could we possibly get some perspective on when it comes to the Oscar nominations that were just released this morning. Hmm, who could that be? Ah, yeah. It is our very own Bruce St. James, who is on vacation this week, but (laughs) you know what? You're a giver, Bruce. You're a giver. So uh, you're joining us right now from I don't even know where. Hopefully there's no natural disasters going on there because that's usually when we have you call into your own show. Um, But wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Oscar nominations because I I hear you're a member of some, you know... uh, I don't hear it nearly enough. Yeah, quite I think, honestly. I I think it should come up more in this normal conversation. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I, I, here's, I mean, let's be honest. Anytime you're talking about an awards show, you're talking about subjective. Somebody's best movie of all time another, is another person's. I can't believe I sat through that crap. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we we can acknowledge right up front. So when you look at the nominations, it struck me that I, I don't think they missed anything obvious. Quite honestly, there were a lot of there were a couple of really good movies this year uh, that I think kind of stand out. And then in the B tier, if you will, you know, you could shuffle some around and that wouldn't make a big difference. I think the obvious if I was going to bet on something, the obvious one right now is um, for best actor, Joaquin Phoenix. I, I don't see how you could look at that performance in Joker 
and not give an award for it. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking that as well, Bruce. That that, that one seems uh, and he and he's doing the he's doing the press already. He was on sixty minutes yesterday, and and yeah. I think he's I think he's getting ready for it. Hey, how interesting is it that a movie like The Irishman that was basically made for Netflix? I know it was released in the theaters. Mm-hmm. How interesting is it that that's up for Best Picture? Well, and I think that goes to show the changing movie industry, quite honestly. I mean, if you take a look at it, there were, um, on my top ten for the year, I had three of these, you know, quote, direct-to-Netflix kind of films um, on there, and they are indistinguishable from what we used to call major motion pictures. I mean, when you look at The Irishman, I mean, that is... A-plus level director in Scorsese with A-plus level art uh, actors all the way through it. And it is a huge epic film. You know, I think there used to be, and it wasn't that long ago, that when you had Amazon or, or Netflix films, they were kind of like movies that weren't good enough to be in the theater. You know, like, yeah, eh, I can watch it. You know, I, you know, it's not like I have to right. go pay to see it or anything, right? I, I think that that line is getting awful darn blurry. And this appears to be kind of the way of the future, where these streaming companies have more money than they know what to do with anyway, so they might yep. as well go ahead and make $100 million movies and put them on their services as a way to drive people specifically to them. So when you see Irishman on there, I don't think it's a surprise because I think it's just it, it's, it's a great film. The fact it that really it's a good. Netflix film is secondary. Yeah, the idea of direct-to-television was never a good idea. You know, oh, It was yeah. never something that people wanted back direct in the day. Direct-to-video, remember that? Right, like, right. Right to VHS. Like, We're oh, trying to thoroughly to rent that one. confuse our listeners today. Uh, yeah, because I've got Barry Markson in studio with me. Bruce St. James is on vacation, but he's calling in right now yes. because we've got the Oscar nominations out. And yes, he is a member of the Phoenix Film, Phoenix Critics, Film Critics Society, Society Phoenix yeah, Critics Circle. But okay, other than that. Uh, you know what, Bruce, the one thing that, that, that jumped hmm? out to me that um, I want to get your reaction to, I'm looking at Please. the supporting actors list. Tom yeah. Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, yeah. Brad Pitt. It's like maybe, you know what, who knows? These guys might have a future in this business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think it's really interesting. I, I was looking at that same list too, Pamela, looking and going, okay, well, that's a <laughs> that's a tough list to choose from. You know, usually you get these best supporting actors and it's like, oh, he's, a, he's an up-and-comer. He's a, you know, <laughs> a, a, he'll be ready for the big starlight. Something. These are... Uh, and by the way, I don't know how you choose. Uh, I mean, they all were amazing performances. My my heart goes to Tom Hanks, but then again, I think every Tom Hanks performance is pretty amazing. But uh, when you look at who he's up against, I mean, you had amazing performances from, again, we get back to the, the top echelon of actors out yeah. there in supporting roles. It's actually pretty amazing in the supporting actress role, too. And oftentimes you see uh, unknown actresses or at least actresses mm-hmm. I haven't heard of, but not this year. I mean, Margot Robbie, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Laura Dern, Kathy Bates. I mean, these are actresses that people know. Uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of known folks there up for awards this year. Well, and Barry, you know, one of the things, and I don't know if this is a trend this year or this is a trend in films, but you have these ensemble casts. You know, I mean, think about, you know, Irishman or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or some of these things where you have, um, it's almost hard to tell who's the, quote, best actor or actress and who's the supporting, you know, because there's, you know, eight A-level people in this film. Well, who's carrying the movie? You know, who gets more lines? And, uh, you know, when you take a look at some of these ensemble casts, you're, you're, again, they're not 
unknowns, it's an ensemble cast of people that have got a, a, a wall full of awards already. So All right. That's pretty cool. Bruce, I want to get your take, though, um, before we wrap up here on The Best Picture. These th- have been nominated. Mm. Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, yeah. Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. What does Bruce St. James think <laughs> is going to take The Best Picture nom- or award? I, I, I'm going to hedge my bet a yeah. little bit, but this goes back to my top 10 of the year. I think it is a coin flip between 1917 and Parasite. Uh, I think both of them are amazing films in and of themselves. Wildly different, by the way. I mean, you couldn't have more different movies if you tried. Uh, you know, from a kind of dark comedy uh, in Korean to a World War One action movie, for lack of better terms. But um, I, uh, I think I think the voters will like 1917, but I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Parasite won. I just saw oh, 1917 man. this weekend. It was uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Bruce A. It's James, amazing, right? Yeah, it really it really is. A lot of these movies are amazing. Hey, Bruce, real quick, do you like having ten movies up for Beck's picture as the uh, the movies are that you are, or did you like it when it was a smaller category? I, you know, this is you know, can we peel the curtain back a little bit? This is a little bit of the marketing ploy. It's why so many yeah. of these movies come out at the end of the year. I mean, 1917 literally opened last week, right? And so. The idea is the nominations come out and these movies are still in theaters and it becomes part of their marketing. And so I think the pressure from the movie companies was we need more nominations so that we have more of these people that that probably right now are going, ooh, I need to see some of these nominated movies before the awards. So it becomes kind of part of selling the movie. Bruce St. James, thank you so much, man. Enjoy your vacation. We appreciate you you, uh, working while away. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Bruce there giving us his take on the Oscar nominations. Barry saw 1917 this weekend. I saw Parasite this weekend. So two excellent, excellent movies. Hey, you know what? The airport says there are over 700 ways. 700 ways to get to the airport other than Uber and Lyft. Yeah, but are they really practical? We're diving into that next here on KTAR. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yeah, you know, I wanted to get some perspective on what the heck is going on at Phoenix Sky Harbor with Uber and Lyft. We know that this is going to be a big week, a week where the state attorney general, Mark Barnovich, is going to release his opinion on what Phoenix Sky Harbor did. Now, he's investigating it because a complaint was filed by a state legislature because fees were raised, right? This is the $4 drop-off and pick-up fee for Uber and Lyft and ride-sharing. You guys know about this. We've been talking about it a lot here. Um, But I thought it was interesting, Barry. Again, we've got Barry Markson helping me hold it down all week long here on our show. Um, I thought it was interesting that our TV partners over at ABC 15 reached out to Phoenix Sky Harbor and they really wanted to get an idea as to what, what kind of options are out there other than Uber and Lyft. And here's what they were told. A spokesperson says more than 700 other providers are ready to pick up and drop off passengers at the airport, taxi companies, town cars and limousines. Taxis, town cars, and limousines. Yeah, well, look, up until a few years ago when Uber and Lyft started, that's how you got to the airport, right? You had somebody drop you off at the airport or 
you took a taxi or a super shuttle or a limo, right? That, that's how you, or town car. I mean, that's what you did. Or you parked. You drove or, when you or parked, you parked yourself. Right. Which, yeah. So all those options still exist. The only thing that was added to that was the Uber Lyft option. And I got to tell you, Uber Lyft's better. I mean, I, I do that all the time. A lot of people are taking Uber Lyft to the airport. It's less expensive, Pamela. It's, it's way less, cheaper. way cheaper than a cab. It's way certainly way cheaper than taking a town car or a limo or one of those options. Um, it's it's just you, so it's not a shuttle where there's you know three other people stops and everything else that goes on with it. It's great. I, I love Uber and Lyft. I use them all the time. Uh, so this is this is not a good thing. I think it's funny that the city of Phoenix is saying there's 700 other options when some of them are obviously one guy in a car. Right. You know, so I mean, it's, it's that's what we comical. did this morning. You know what? We we wanted to to figure out well, what are these other yeah. options, right? So we took a look at it, and, and it's exactly that. They they have listed taxis, courtesy vehicles, meaning like hotel shuttles. Okay, you're getting a, a shuttle to or from your hotel. Right. Um, they call inner city shuttles and car services, and under those four categories. They have a, a huge long list, and yeah, it's like Walt's taxis. Well, it's like Walt, who's driving the taxi, is Walt taxis. I don't know if there's necessarily like 700 full time providers to take you to and from the airport. But when you're looking at taxis, town cars, and limos, guess what? Those are all really expensive. Yes, taxis are really expensive. This was something that I became acutely aware of when I had to go to the airport. And didn't want to park, and I was trying to figure out what's the most cost-effective, parking or getting myself there through Uber and Lyft, or what about a taxi? And you know what? ABC 15 had that question as well. We found a list of taxi services on Sky Harbor's website and got a quote for a trip to the airport from an address in Gilbert, $56. The same estimate for an Uber, $23. And that's right in line with what I found, that the taxi was twice as much as an Uber or Lyft. Now, I'm not one who routinely rides in town cars or limousines, so I have no idea how much more they cost than an Uber or Lyft, but I know that it's going to be a lot more. So you've got the state attorney general, Mark Burnovich, who is going to be making a decision this week as to whether or not this is against the state constitution. Yeah, he's going to issue an opinion on that, and uh, we'll see where that comes down. I mean, most likely, I think you're going to find that... um the fee, these are fees. And if, if the question is, are they fees or are they taxes? And if they're taxes, the city's not allowed to raise taxes on something like this. So it'll be interesting to see how that how he how he sees that. But it's been done in other places already and found to be a fee. But the but the but the language in the Constitution even includes fees for a yeah. current service. So how is he going to see this? We talked last week to KTAR legal analyst Monica Lindstrom. And frankly, Barry, I was surprised at what she had to say about it. Legally speaking, I think he's going to have to side with the city and the airport because they have a lot of really good legal basis, unfortunately. Now, Monica is saying, yeah, that that he believes that the state attorney general is going to have to side with the city. What are the... What are the legal arguments that they're making? So they make a good argument in the sense that, look, we're not treating them any different than any other entities on airport property for commercial purposes. If you're using the airport to make money, then we should be allowed to charge you because we operate the airport like a private business. And that's a pretty good argument. I hate to say it, and I don't (laughs) want to 
go back and say, darn it, they make a really good argument. But unfortunately, they do. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I was just saying. I, I, I don't think you're going to see the attorney general overturn what Phoenix did here. I don't know what basis he'd be able to do that with, because there have been other uh, similar instances where fees have been implemented and permitted uh, in there. So, I mean, for me, the question is, why is the city doing this? Why is there, if it is, in fact, a focus on Uber and Lyft, why is that happening as opposed to a more equal sharing with the taxi companies? And I think that's what we need to get to the bottom of, because that fee is going up so much for Uber and Lyft, but not really has gone down for the taxis. Is it because the city collects a large lump sum fee from taxi companies in order to allow them to pick up at the airport? What's the basis for doing this with just Uber and Lyft? That's, that's the question I wish a, a city employee would actually answer, as opposed to saying, there's 700 other options, stop acting like this is important. Because it is important. This is how a lot of people are getting to the airport right now. And it's easy to look back and say, Pamela, you know, six years ago, nobody took Uber Lyft. What's the big deal? Well, six years ago, a lot of people didn't have iPhones, and we couldn't look stuff up on the internet. I mean, things change. We get used to it. We want these things. It's we, a nice option. And when you talk about how things change, well, because Uber and Lyft have been sharing so much of the, the bulk of people going to the airport, ABC 15 also kind of dove into the numbers there and said that taxis would need to increase the number of services they have available by 500% in order to fill the gap that's going to be created by Uber and Lyft leaving Sky Harbor. Yeah, and, no, they can't do it. And it still becomes, you know, the question, will Uber and Lyft actually leave Sky yeah. Harbor? They claim that they will. And if they do, we will be the only airport in the country where you cannot get an Uber or a Lyft. Yeah, I don't think they will. And if they do, I think they'll do it and then come back. Their drivers want to go there. Their drivers make a bunch of money. You ask an Uber Lyft driver what their favorite ride is. It's an airport ride. It's a long ride. One person. It's a big It's a big fee for them. I think that comes back pretty quickly. And frankly, look, figure out whether this is constitutional or not. The Goldwater Institute's going to sue the city also, Pamela, uh, if uh, depending on how this ends up. But just go ahead and let them charge the fee and let, let the consumer decide. The fee built into the price. We'll know it's there, and then you decide. Do you want to drive yourself, park? Do you want someone to drive you, take a taxi? We decide. To be continued, obviously, the saga over this. Uh, we'll get some sort of clarity later this week as State Attorney General Mark Burnovich is expected to release his opinion on all of it. So, how do you apologize for accidentally killing 176 people? Oh, my. Yeah, Iran says, my bad. But is that enough? I mean, like, how do you actually make up for this? Can you possibly? We're diving into that next here on KTIR. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. You know what? Over the weekend, Iran actually admitted, yeah, we shot it down. You know, that commercial jet yeah. airliner that went down just a few hours after Iran launched missiles into Iraq targeting U.S. forces. Yeah, they shot it down. And, and, and the day that that had happened, Barry, I was sitting here with Bruce. Again, Barry uh, Markson sitting in for Bruce St. James this week. And I looked at Bruce and said, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I don't know what happened, but it's just too odd to have these two things happen in such a short period of time. Right. Iran came out, said it wasn't us, prove it. And then in a pretty epic weekend news dump, um, they said, yep, you know what? It was us. So now what? 
Yeah, well, look, I, I'm shocked they admitted it. Um, you know, in funny, Why? Because countries like that don't normally admit they're wrong. In so fact, why do you think they did? In fact, Russia came out right afterwards, I don't know if you saw that, and said uh, a couple of Russian ministers said Iran never should have admitted it. They should have just continued to deny it and blame the United States. And uh, so I'm impressed at some level that they acknowledged this is what happened. Maybe they realized it would have been found that anyway. Um, yeah, the question now is what happens. And, you know, the interesting thing is, Pamela, this the United States accidentally did this. Yeah. Back in 1988, we shot down an Iranian commercial jetliner. It was a mistake. We admitted it. Um, and it went into the international court, and there was a whole settlement. When you say, well, what do you do? How do you, you know, an apology is obviously not sufficient. Nothing's sufficient. There's no money that's sufficient. Nothing's sufficient. Uh, but the United States paid out about $61.8 million um, to other countries and, and, their, and the families that were involved in the plane. I mean, they, yeah, they that doesn't sound like it. much to me. That doesn't sound like much. Well, and, and when you bring it even to like today's dollars, that's about $130 million. Yeah. I don't know what, what would be a, a good know. amount. I, yeah. I, I don't know what that is. The oops, our bad, so sorry, here's, here's a little bit of a check, doesn't cut it for me. And apparently it doesn't cut for uh, Justin Trudeau uh, in Canada because you had a lot of Canadians who were killed on that flight. Why? Canada told them to get out. The escalating tension between Iran and the United States, they told them to get out. So these folks jumped on the first available flight out of Tehran and they died. We will not rest until there are answers. We will not rest until there is justice and accountability. But how do you get justice yeah, and accountability there, with a country like Iran? Well, there, there won't be. What, what's justice and accountability? The guy, the guy, the military person who hit the wrong button. And, I mean, they had 10 seconds to make a decision. They thought it was a United States uh, a plane or something that was flying Attacking at them. one of their bases. And- yeah, and, and they reacted to it. Obviously, the wrong, it was a huge mistake and a, and a big thing. What's justice? Do you kill that guy who pushed the button, who's, who's put in an untenable position and makes the wrong decision? What, justice, there, there's no justice here. People who died on that plane aren't going to feel justice. And Pamela, it's the same thing as people who are driving around, you know, someone who's driving around this week and a, another car hits them and they die in the car. Their family's never going to feel justice. They, even if the person's arrested, even if they sue them and get money, it, you never, it's never enough. Of course not. How, how can you replace a life? You can't do it. So I, I don't know that justice will ever happen. Uh, again, I'm, I'm surprised and somewhat impressed that Iran admitted it. I, I don't think the countries like Iran normally admit stuff like this. And I'm wondering again why, because this has created a ton of unrest in, in Iran. Yeah. So if you're kind of following what's been transpiring there over the last couple of months, you have had a lot of protests in Iran as folks have been protesting against the government. They got deadly. I mean, some of the images that were coming out were pretty horrific of the Iranian government killing their own people in because they were protesting. So there was this huge uproar of people in Iran that that went away after the United States killed Soleimani, like you know, the, their military commander, right? And by the United States doing that, it really reunified Iran. They were like all together. And instead of like going after their government, they were chanting, you know, death to America in the streets of Iran. Now it's like we got whiplash because, again, those protests are erupting in Iran Again, after the government acknowledged that they shot down the plane, 
And now you see people in the streets of Iran, you know, getting hit with tear gas and bullets because of it. Yeah. Well, and look, there might be different people in each of those protests. We don't know. I mean, a lot of the people on that plane uh, were Iranian college students. So in a lot of the universities, they're very upset because they've lost some of their colleagues and students and friends. Uh, there, there, are, there are different people in Iran. There are some, just like the United States, there are some who love the Ayatollah and everything that they stand for. And there's others who hate him and want uh, a more liberal and a democracy uh, to occur there. So uh, it's they've got a problem there. And I, I the United States now is putting out tweets and sending support and saying we support the the Iranian people. President Trump, I saw today, uh, Pamela, he, he tweeted something out, his support for these Iranian protesters. Yep. Somebody laid a U.S. flag down on the ground for them to st- uh, trample over, and they walked around it. Uh, because they didn't want to dis- they didn't want to disrespect the United States in this instance. They're focused on what their own country did. It's uh, amazing what can happen in a week, Ferry. Oh, no, it really you know is. What? It, it is really amazing is. what can happen in a week, and it only makes you sit and wonder, what are we going to be talking about a week from now? Yeah, or, or on Tuesday. But <laughs> it's, yes, it's, thank it's, you very much. It changes quick. What's going to happen in the next 12 hours? Yeah. yeah, it does change so quick, as is the news cycle. Hey, you know what? Uh, Russo and Steel celebrating 20 years as the world's most exciting collector car auction. January 15th through the 19th in North Scottsdale. The five-day show is going to showcase over 800 premium collector automobiles this year. What? Tickets are in on sale now. But you know what? You can always win a pair. Yeah, we've got them for you. Head on over to the rewards page at KTIR.com. All right. So is America the greatest country in the world? Yes. Yes. I'm with you on that. But Barry, a lot of people say no. We're going to tell you why. Bring them to me. (laughs) Bring them to my feet. I will handle this. He's Barry Markson. I'm Pamela Hughes. And we're going to be talking about that coming up next here on KTIR.